Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Detectives and Togas. When you last listened, we had a huge reveal in which Caius confessed that he was the one who wrote Caius is a dumbbell on the temple wall. All right, let's jump back in and see what happens next. Chapter 15, Xantippus finds the point. You, the boys exclaimed. Yes, said Caius. I copied his handwriting. The boys clustered around him in excitement. What made you do it? Musius demanded. I wanted to get even. Then you were the one who broke into Xantippus's house? Flavius cried. Caius nodded. What did you hit him on the head with? Antonius wanted to know. With my fist, Caius said. Did you also denounce Rufus to the prefect? Musius asked with terrible sternness. No, that wasn't me, Caius said. I only wanted him to get a licking. I never thought he would be sent to prison. At this point, Publish pushed forward and asked suspiciously, How are you able to fake Rufus's handwriting so well? Caius hesitated for just a moment, then growled unwillingly. It filled the grooves in the wax with red paint and pressed the tablet against the temple wall. Publius was taken aback. That's pretty slick, he admitted. The others were equally astonished. They never would have thought of so simple a trick. Only Julius sat, pondering, a frown on his face. Case isn't as dumb as we thought, Publius said. He even fooled Scribonus. He's lying, Julius said suddenly in a loud and decisive voice. I am not, Caius said uncertainly. You are so lying, Julius retorted. You didn't copy Rufus's handwriting at all. If you had filled the grooves in the wax with red paint and pressed the wax tablet against the wall like you say, the writing would have come out turn, turned around. I can prove it to you. Look at this, he told the others and went to the table. Taking a piece of charcoal with which Flavius had written the letter to the emperor, he crumpled it, spat vigorously into bits several times, and with his hands kneaded the mass into a black pulp. Then he rushed to the corner and came back with a smooth piece of board. Sticking his forefinger into the charcoal paste, he wrote the word Caius on the board. Then he pressed the board firmly upon the white marble tabletop, lifted it, and triumphantly showed them the result. On the marble top, they could distinctly see, though rather smearily, the word S-U-I-A-C. Musius turned around and studied Caius with great seriousness. Will you explain, please, why you said you didn't when you didn't? He asked sternly. Caius stood with compressed lips, but abruptly he turned red and said, Take me to the prefect and tell him I did it. Then Rufus will be released. Oh ho, so that's the way the wind blows, Publius cried scornfully. I suppose you're sorry now that you tattled to your father about Rufus? Caius nodded. It's my fault he's in prison, he muttered guiltily. Well, it's decent of you to admit it, Julius observed with more friendliness. Let's be nice to him again, Flavia said. He's sorry about it all. I'm not sorry about anything, Caius mumbled crossly. I want to be taken back in the gang again, that's all. We haven't any time to be playing, Musius said. We have to find out who copied Rufus's handwriting. Otherwise, Rufus is done for. I know, Caius murmured with downcast eyes. I heard the whole thing. The reason I hid was because I wanted to know what you fellows were saying about me. How do you know that somebody faked the handwriting? That's just what we can't prove, Musius said. Nobody will believe us. People will believe Scribonus. Maybe there's some trick to it, Caius said, scratching himself behind the ear. He looked anything but bright as he did so. Or magic, Antonius suggested. At the word trick, Julius looked up and fixed his eyes on Caius with a cunning expression. 
How did you happen to think of that story of the paint and the grooves of the wax? He asked. Did you hit on that all by yourself? I once watched the way our cook baked cookies, Caius replied. The cookies were all shaped like letters. This was a long time ago, but it made a big impression on me. He had wooden molds which were shaped like letters. He placed the molds on the bronze platter. Then he poured the dough into the grooves of the letters and put the platter into the oven. When he took the platter out later and lifted the molds, there were the baked letters right on the platter. He gave them to me so I could learn how to read, but I ate them. Heavenly gods, help me, Julius murmured, overwhelmed. I bet I have it. Have what? Of course, that's the way it was done. No other possible way, Julius moaned. He's gone out of his mind, Flavius said. An evil spirit has gotten into him, Antonius said. Let him talk, Musius shouted at them. I know how Rufus's writing was copied, Julius said. Someone pierced through the letters on his wax tablet, then pressed the tablet against the wall and ran a brush dipped in red paint over the grooves. That way, Caius as a dumbbell would appear on the wall just the way Rufus wrote it. It took a while for the others to grasp what he meant, but then they all cheered him loudly. Julius had solved the mystery. Flavius and Antonius danced with joy. Musius pounded Julius on the back. You're a genius, he praised him. Caius alone had not understood a word of the explanation, but no one expected him to. Even Publius had nothing to criticize this time. I had a hunch it was something of the sort, he said with a grin. Let's have that letter, Musius said. We must add this explanation. Rufus will certainly be freed today. Flavius had to sit down at the table again, and Julius and Musius began dictating the postscript about the forging of the script. But before Flavius could finish the last sentence, they heard a well-known voice at the entrance saying, So I finally caught up with you, scoundrels. And in hobbled Xantippus, leaning on a stick. The boys gaped. Xantippus himself in person. What could have made him seek them out in their cave? Certainly nothing pleasant. And sure enough, Xantippus was in anything but a sweet temper. If Rhombus hadn't told me you might be in your cave, I would have never found you, he scolded. Lovely tales I've been hearing. He groaned, limped toward them, paused, and looked around for a seat. Musius hastily took a box and offered it to their teacher. Xantippus cautiously settled down on the box and glanced around with a frown of disapproval, for the cave was not exactly a model of neatness. Then he went on. Rufus's mother and Rhombus came to see me. They had the idea that you might be at school, but of course you weren't to be found. Livia told me that this sorry mess about this sorry mess with Rufus, a terrible, terrible thing. There isn't much I can do since I am not a Roman citizen, but I assured her of my support. My leg still hurts like the devil, but I went looking for you. I had to rent a sedan chair with two bearers. They're waiting for me outside and every minute is costing me money, so hurry up. What did Luco say? The boys remained shamefacedly silent. Finally, Julius murmured. For some reason, Lucos wouldn't use his second sight for us. But we found out for ourselves that Rufus is innocent, Musius declared proudly. So you have, have you, Xantippus said. You might have taken the trouble to let Livia know, leaving that poor woman in suspense all this time. Is that nice? We wrote a letter to the emperor first, Julius said. Xantippus raised his bushy eyebrows. You wrote a letter to the emperor. We wanted to show that Rufus is completely innocent and ask for a pardon for him, Musius said. Where is this fine letter of yours? Here. Musius handed their teacher the book on which Flavius had written the letter. Xantippus moved closer to the light, unrolled the parchment, and began reading. 
How long, O Cataline, will you continue to abuse our patients? How long will you continue to mock us with your madness? Will your unbridled impudence never cease? He broke off, stared mystified at his peoples, and asked, What is the meaning of this? Why do you drag in Cicero's oration? That happens to be a copy of Cicero, Musius said. Our letters on the back. You might have told me that in the first place, Antipas growled irritably. He turned the roll over and silently read the letter. Then he looked up and said darkly, Who wrote this? I did, Flavius admitted. A frightful piece of work, Xantippus snarled. Swarming with mistakes, your spelling is disgraceful. I'll see about this when school begins again. He tossed the parchment roll on the table. Furthermore, your logic is full of holes and your proofs are worthless, he continued. I am not surprised that you are all so bad at mathematics. Sit down. The boys obediently took seats on the boxes. No place was left for Flavius, and he had to sit on the floor. Does any one of you have the faintest recollection of Pythagoras? Xantippus asked. The boys nodded eagerly, although they no longer remembered what Pythagoras was all about. In a right-angled triangle, the square of the hypotenuse equals the sum of the squares of the two sides. What do we call such a statement? Xantippus asked. A riddle, Caius mumbled. Xantippus gave him a withering look, then turned contemptuously away and called, Julius? A proof, Julius replied. Wrong, Xantippus said. It is a hypothesis. A hypothesis is a statement which must be proved before it is accepted as true. The so-called proofs in your letter are nothing more than hypotheses. Did anyone see Rufus in the baths of Diana? No, Musius admitted. Then you have no witnesses, and without witnesses you can prove nothing. Now about the forging of the script. It is possible that Rufus's writing tablet was used as a pattern, but who is to say that Rufus himself did not do it? Julius raised his hand. Yes, Xantippus said. Why should Rufus go to all the trouble of piercing through the wax when all he had to do was write it on the wall? Have you ever tried to write in the dark, Xantippus asked. Julius had not thought of that. You see, Xantippus said complacently, you don't even write well by light. The other boys laughed. Julius looked insulted. Quiet, Xantippus commanded. I am not here to amuse you. Then do you think Rufus is guilty? Musius asked timidly. Xantippus suddenly flew into a rage. The veins stood out on his temples. Did I say that? He barked. No, Musius stammered. Then don't ask such silly questions. Xantippus stared down at the tabletop, pondering, and the boys did not dare stir. They were waiting for more hard words and sarcastic questions. Livia should have known better than to get Xantippus into this. He couldn't believe that anything they did was any good. All he could do was interfere. When Xantippus looked up again, however, he seemed to be in a somewhat milder mood. I know Rufus, and he isn't the kind of boy who goes around defacing temples, he said. We'll save him yet. The boy's spirits rose. Xantippus was capable of human emotion after all. Delighted, Musius cried out, We've been racking our brains trying to think of who really did it. Xantippus said pedantically, You have no doubt overlooked the very point that might give us a lead. Musius, tell me once more and very carefully all that you have so far, so far learned about the whole affair in regard to Rufus. I want every little point. Even something that seems unimportant may give us a clue. Musius stood up as if he were in class, 
took a deep breath, and began somewhat clumsily to tell the story. But as he went on, he gained assurance. He gave a blow-by-blow description of everything that had happened since the fateful quarrel between Rufus and Caius, what he had done and what the other boys had done, what they had discovered, what conclusions they had drawn. Now, for the first time, he saw some use in all the drill that Xantippus had given them in the art of public speaking. When he had finished, Xantippus nodded approvingly. Take your seat, he said. Musius sat down. Xantippus reflected for a while. Then he pounded his stick twice against the rocky floor of the cave and said, We have our point to stand on. The boy stared at him in suspense. Our point is the newspaper report, Xantippus went on. What occurred to you when you read the report about the defacing of the temple? Nothing, Julius confessed. We were angry, Flavius said. On the contrary, you should have been pleased, Xantippus declared. The newspaper report proves to us that Rufus is not guilty, that, in fact, he is completely innocent. Why? the boys chorused. Because the newspaper report was written before the defacing of the temple was committed. Xantippus said. Do you understand? The boys did not. Then I shall have to explain this simple matter to you, Xantippus sighed. The censor's office, which publishes the newspaper, does not open until the third hour of the day. The first task of the officials is to post the morning newspaper in the forum, but the reports for the newspaper are written the night before. You see they are written in script, and that requires much time and trouble. If the officials only began in the morning, it would be very late before the first edition of the newspaper comes out. Therefore, one copyist and one official to receive reports always remains in the office at night until the fourth or, at the latest, the fifth hour in order to gather material and write the stories. I myself once worked in the censor's office for several years, so I know exactly what the procedure is. Sometimes couriers with especially important news items arrive late at night. These items are published the next day. Now the item about the defacing of the temple appeared in the first morning edition. That means it must have been delivered at the censor's office by the fourth hour of the night at the latest. I hope all of this is penetrating your thick skulls so that I don't have to repeat it ten times. The boys nodded in assent. They were gradually beginning to realize how the newspaper report fitted into the mystery, although they still did not see how it would help them track down the real culprit. According to the testimony of the two policemen, Xantippus continued, there was nothing on the temple wall before the fifth hour of the night. Accordingly, the newspaper report was written before the defacing of the temple, and that should give us something to think about. Couldn't this have been an exception and the item added to the bulletin in the morning, Julius asked? Such exceptions do occur when there is news of really unusual importance, which this was not, Zintippus stated, but we have an even clearer evidence that no such exception was made for this particular item. Musia said that the report was about in the middle of the newspaper among the other reports. Is that right? Yes, the boys chorused. That proves that it could not have been added in the morning or it would have been placed on an extra board. Besides, besides which, the item was unusually long. Most news items are published in very brief form, especially the extras. The officials, therefore, must have been ta- given the time to write it out in full. The length of the report, moreover, suggests that it was sent by a very important personage, so that the officials did not dare shorten it. 
Xantippus stood up and began hobbling back and forth, leaning on his stick. We therefore have to consider the following points, he continued. How did this important personage know that Caius is a dumbbell was going to be written on the temple wall? What was his interest in seeing that the incident was reported in the newspaper? Why was the suspicion so obviously pointed towards the pupils of Xanthos school? And finally, who is this personage? This last question is the first matter we have to discover. That ought to not be too difficult. For example, if we know which courier delivered the report to the censor's office, we can find out who sent him. I am unfortunately out of commission. My leg hurts and I must go back home and lie down. You boys will have to find out who the courier was. Go to the censor's office and ask to speak to the official who brought the nightly reports. Ask him which courier brought the item about the defacing of the temple. Then come to me at once and we will see what our next step is. But kindly hurry up this time and don't waste your time on idle talk and silly letter writing. Good luck. He hobbled off toward the exit. What will we do if the report was delivered by an unknown courier? Julius called after him. Xantippus turned around. No official would accept a report from an unknown courier. The couriers must carry credentials with them. Any official who publishes a false story can be punished by death. And now don't ask so many questions. Get to work. Xantippus disappeared through the curtain and the boys hurried after him. Outside, the bearers, two powerful slaves, were waiting with their sedan chair. Xantippus climbed in and ordered them to carry him back to Broad Street. The bearers energetically shouldered the chair and started off at a, off at a trot along the narrow path. Xantippus thrust his head out once more and called to the boys, You'd better clean out your cave. It's a regular pigsty. Then he disappeared around a turning. We didn't invite him, Publius marked. Did you understand everything, he said, Caius asked. I shudder to think of what we'll be in for when school starts again, Flavius sighed. If you ask me, Xantippus has been pretty decent, Julius commented. He's really trying to be of help. I guess he's sorry he treated Rufus so badly, Flavius said. He's really smart, Julius said appreciatively. We never would have thought about that newspaper business. The important personage must be a whopping big crook, Antonius said. Are we really going to the censor's office? Flavius asked worriedly. Of course, Musius said, and right away. Let's go, follow me. He started off, taking great leaps down the steep slope. All right, folks, did you get all that? Caius is not the one who wrote on the temple wall, and neither is Rufus. How do we know? We know because, according to the police officers, the writing on the temple wall took place during the fourth to the fifth hour of the night. But the newspaper is also written around that same time. The only way the newspaper could have known this was if someone had told them ahead of time. And we know for sure that this isn't an exception to the newspaper because the article is in the middle of the newspaper as opposed to being added to the top or being put on a new piece of paper to be included with the morning news. All right, what do you think? If it wasn't Rufus, who did it? Chapter 16, Cheap Soap, Burned Oil, and Onions. The boys had to go twice around the State Archives building on the forum before they found, on a quiet sideline, the entrance to the censor's office. At the door stood an armed guard, a tough-looking young man. What are you kids after? he asked harshly. Musius repeated the formula they had decided on. We must speak to the censor's officials, he said, as innocently as possible. 
"'What's your business with them?' the guard asked, leaning indifferently against the wall. He took off his helmet and wiped his brow, for the day had grown rather warm. "'We are bringing an important message,' Musius lied with a straight face. "'A sensational story,' Antonius added, nodding vigorously. "'Do you have any credentials?' the guard asked, plunking his helmet on his head. "'We don't need any,' Musius said. "'The story is about us.' "'Then go to the devil,' the guard said without interest." The boys retreated to a shady corner under the colonnades of the State Archives building where they could keep an eye on the guard. Their plan had fallen flat. By all their calculations, the guard should have admitted them when they claimed to have important news. Now they would have to think of something else. Caius, whom they had taken along on a probation basis, suggested pushing the guard aside and running into the building. If you don't care to try it, I'll do it by myself, he said throwing fierce looks at the brawny fellow lounging in the doorway. "'You think you're a Hercules,' Publius scoffed. "'No violence,' Musius said. "'That would spoil everything. We must use our heads.' Julius nodded. "'Let's tell him the truth,' he proposed, rubbing his nose thoughtfully. "'You do that,' Musius decided. They approached the entrance again. The guard sat down on the base of the column and was lovingly polishing his sword, which already gleamed like a metal mirror in the sunlight. He looked up in surprise as the boys trooped up to him once more. So you're here again, he said. We have to have a great favor to beg of you, Julius began flatteringly. Yes, the guard asked skeptically. Listen, kids, I'm just on guard here. I can't do anything for you. We would not ask you to, Julius said, standing on his dignity. All we wanted to do was check something with the official who took the late news at night. Do you mean Megabates, the guard asked. Yes, he's the one we mean. Publius grinned. A Greek, isn't he? Musius asked quickly. He recognized Megabates as a Greek name. Can we see him? Julius asked. Megabates isn't around yet, the guard replied. He's on night duty, so he gets his sleep in the morning. He doesn't live far from here, does he? Julius guessed, asked at a hazard. If you know him so well, you must know his address, too, the guard asked slyly. Of course we know his address, Antonius burst out. It just slipped our minds. Sometimes we forget where our school is. The guard laughed. He liked the boys. It wasn't too long since he himself had played hooky from school on a spring day. Megabates lives in a house on Patrician Street, right on the corner of Sabura, he said. But now clear out of here, he roared good-naturedly, and he jokingly raised his sword. Thank you very much, the boys called as they ran off in high spirits. They turned the corner and were once more in the forum. The big square was swarming with people who had been lured out by the warmth of the first real spring day. The sun was shining, the sky was a brilliant blue, and a gentle breeze which smelled of spring blew from the south. Everyone looked happy, and the dazzling white togas and tunics the people wore showed that they had fetched out their finest clothes to celebrate so fine a day. But the boys weren't out for a leisurely promenade. They plowed their way through the crowd, using their elbows to good purpose. As they pushed on, Musius glanced at the gloomy city jail at the foot of the capital. That's where Rufus is, he said, stopping in his tracks. The others stared at the prison. It must be awful in there, Flavius murmured. The prisoners were kept deep underground, Antonius said. Maybe we could dig a tunnel and free Rufus. Publius laughed at him. Where would you start to dig, he asked. Right here, in the forum, in front of the whole world? Caius took offense. All you can ever do is make silly jokes, he snorted, starting toward him. It's just that you're too dumb to understand them, Publius retorted, clenching his fists. Shut up, Musius warned, stepping in between them. 
People are staring at us. If you want to fight, do it when you're alone. The boys moved on. They made their way to the Senate building, took a less crowded side street, and soon reached the gorge known as the Sabura. As they approached the corner of Patrician Street, they saw the building the guard must have referred to. It was a shabby, five-story tenement. The lower story consisted entirely of wretched little stores, mere niches in the building, with goods spread out on the sidewalk. On the corner was a barber's booth. The barber was standing in the street, cutting a customer's hair with enormously large shears. The man sat submissively on a stool, and a group of street boys stood around, following the proceedings with interest. Next door, there was a butcher shop. The meat hung on big hooks set into the wall. Then came a booth with a goat's head carved in stone above the entrance, indicating that this was where milk was sold. After that came a laundry, a vegetable shop, and a dirty tavern. The boys wondered how to get into the building since they saw no entrance. Finally, Musius asked the barber where the door was. Around the back, the barber said, jerking his shears toward the patrician street. At the corner of the building, the boys struck a narrow, well-trodden path, evidently much used by the rightful inhabitants of the place. The path led into the backyard, and from there the tenement did not look quite so ugly as from the front. Along the roofs ran roofed galleries, which, at intervals, tiny balconies opened out. Assorted potted plants sent forth vines and greenery, which jutted and trailed along the railings of the balconies. Wooden steps led from the yard up to the galleries. The yard itself was paved with large flagstones, and there was a fountain in the center of it. Off to one side, three small girls were jumping rope. They stopped playing when the well-dressed boys came in and gaped in wonder. The boys strolled toward the building and took the staircase, whose steps were worn smooth by much traffic. I'll bet nothing but criminals live here, Antonius said. You're letting your imagination run away again, Julius said. This is the kind of place where craftsmen, shopkeepers, and freed slaves live. The majority of them are Greeks and Arabs. They are not criminals. This was the first time the boys had ever entered a tenement house, and they felt like explorers. On the lowest gallery, they stopped in confusion. A number of doorways covered only by curtains led to the interior of the building. From behind these curtains, they could hear all sorts of noises. Dishes rattling, children whining, shrill women's and horse men's voices quarreling. Dogs were barking, and somewhere a young man was crooning a sentimental song. There was a smell of cheap soap, burned oil, and onions. I feel sick to my stomach, Flavius murmured. No backing down now, Musius said. We'll never find megabates in this hive, Flavius said. We'll have to ask, Musius said, and boldly pulled aside the nearest curtain. They found themselves looking into a tiny kitchen. A sturdy woman was standing over a steaming trowel, scrubbing clothes on a wooden board. She looked up, her face flushed with heat and annoyance, and shouted, Get out of here, you rascals! The boys hastily withdrew. A little old man clad in rags and came along the gallery toward them, walking unsteadily. The boys approached him. Where does Megabates live? they asked. The old man chuckled and started to babble at Grink Lake. The boys did not understand so much as a syllable of his speech. He smelled strongly of wine, which made them uneasy. But he seemed eager to be of help, for he went on chattering and pointing upward with a dirty finger. I guess Megabates lives further up, Musius said to his friends. But where? Publius asked. On the roof? Wait, I have an idea, Julius said, turning to Publius. Do any of you happen to have a charcoal pencil with you? 
I do, said Publius, producing one from the pocket of his tunic. Julius took the possession of the pimple and went over to the wall. Hey, you, to the old man. The man looked at him with a vacant smile. Julius waved the pencil in the air to hold the old fellow's attention. Then he drew on the wall a staircase and after it put a large question mark. The old man realized what Julius wanted, took the pencil from him, and made five long dashes beside the question mark. Under these, he placed three small dashes. Then he pocketed the pencil and wheeled off down the stairs. The boys saw him staggering across the yard, heading for the tavern. My pencil, Publius protested. Let him keep the pencil, Musius said. The old boy has done us a service. How come, Caius wanted to know. What are those marks supposed to mean? The others chuckled. Megabates lives on the fifth floor, Julius explained. What are the three small dashes for, Flavius asked. Maybe the third door, Musius said hopefully. He had guessed right, for now they noticed that all the doorways were numbered. They climbed the wooden steps to the fifth gallery, where they stopped in front of the door marked three. Musius pounded his fist against the curtain, but this action produced no sound at all, merely a dense cloud of dust. Then he called out, Does Megabates live here? Whereupon a cross voice replied, Come in. We don't think we need to take off our sandals here, Musius whispered as he entered. Apparently, the newspaper's job was not very highly paid. Megabates' apartment consisted of a small, poorly furnished windowless room. In one corner was a small open fireplace in which a fire was burning. In the other corner, a straw pallet lay on the floor, probably a bed. Along the walls were nails on which hung clothing and blankets. Megabates was sit at, seated at the table with a steaming bowl of peas and sausage, which he was eating slowly. Beside the bowl lay a large piece of bread and a broad-bladed dagger-like knife. The censor's official was a rather pinched-looking elderly man whose pointed gray beard reminded the boys of Xantippus. He went right on with his meal. Finally, he growled with a full mouth. Who are you? Are you Megabates? Musius asked. What do you want? We have something very important to discuss with you, Musius said. I am Megabates, but I cannot discuss anything now, Megabates growled, completely absorbed in his peas and sausage. Forgive us for disturbing you, but we are in a great hurry, Musius replied. I'm in a hurry too, Megabates said. I must get to my office. Come back tomorrow. This seemed to settle the affair as far as he was concerned, for with his fingers he lifted another chunk of sausage to his mouth. Musius did not give up. We only wanted to know whether you received the news report the night before last at the censor's office, he said. I did, Megabates said indistinctly, his mouth full. What concern is it of yours? We should like to know who the courier was who brought the item about the desecration of the temple, Musius said. That's confidential information, Megabates said curtly. He sharpened the knife on the edge of the bowl and cut himself a thick slice of bread. Please tell us, Musius replied. Who are you anyways, Megabates demanded. Musius Marius Domitius. Megabates looked up, startled. Domitius, are you by any chance related to his excellency, the honorable tribune Domitius? He's my father, Musius said as modestly as possible. Megabates jumped up, choking down his mouthful of bread and bowed low. Forgive me, young sir. Why didn't you say so at once? Has your father sent you? Musius nodded. A lie at a time like this didn't really count. After all, his friend's life was at stake. My father is Senator Vinicius, Caius blurted out. 
Megabates bowed to him also. Of course, of course, he stammered, confused. Any information which is in my power to give, he agreed eagerly. Let me think, the night before last, the report on the desecration of the temple. Ah, I guess I remember now. The courier came rather late, around the fourth hour of the night. The boys threw significant glances at one another. Xantippus had guessed correctly. He brought a sealed letter, Megabates continued, with the words very urgent on the outside. I opened the letter and found the report on the desecration of the temple. It was written in shorthand, but it was extremely long and was therefore a great nuisance to us. I personally would have liked to have told the carrier to get out. Why didn't you? Antonius asked. Why, how could I do that? Megabates exclaimed in alarm. The courier was sent by His Excellency, ex-counsel Tellus. Ex-counsel Tellus, the boys cried in amazement. Yes, Megabates said, by ex-counsel Tellus in person. Well, folks, Xantippus was right. The courier came with the information at the fourth hour of the night, the exact same time that the writing was being put onto the temple wall. What can this possibly mean for Rufus? Who decided to frame him for such a dangerous crime? I'm looking forward to hearing your predictions on Google Classroom. Have a great day.